It's Monday, February 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. For the second time, former President Trump has been acquitted of the impeachment charges against him. Seven Republican senators voted with Democrats to convict Trump, but it was not enough to make the two-thirds majority needed. With this win, President Trump maintains his control of the GOP, but the party is still divided. Where does it go from here? Also, what did the Democrats achieve in all of this after twice failing to convict Trump? Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for a breakdown of impeachment part two. Next, a story straight out of Hollywood about an acting coach turned life coach and energy healer who became a toxic influence to her followers that leveraged personal information against them. Candace Silvers, daughter of comedian Phil Silvers, has been accused by some of her former students of claiming success for other actors' accomplishments, using students' private stories in class discussions, and promoting unsafe health advice to her followers. Silvers, for her part, chalks it all up to a small group of disgruntled clients. Gary Baum, senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter, joins us for more on the guru of Toluca Lake. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I give credit to the seven Republicans who stood with us, who followed the facts, who looked at the law, who looked at the evidence, and found uh, this president guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Well, it's all over again. The second impeachment trial of President Trump has concluded, and once again, he was acquitted. The vote came down 57 to 43, with seven Republican senators voting with the Democrats to convict him of the uh, impeachment charges. But obviously, you know, you need a, a two-thirds majority, so they did not get that. Uh, let's take a look at some of the big takeaways, starting with President Trump himself. He ended up winning the fight. He, he's maintaining control of the Republican Party as it stands right now. He can run again in 2024 if he wants. So how has this whole thing played out for him? Yeah, I think most people would say that President Trump, former President Trump, came out on top here. He was not convicted of the impeachment charges and could run again if he wanted. Although, let's be clear, this was the most bipartisan vote to convict that we've ever seen. Even if it wasn't successful, there were, as you said, seven Republicans who voted guilty. That is just really unheard of in previous impeachment proceedings and does send a message that there are Republicans who think that Trump shouldn't be the face of their party anymore. But I think that he will be able to say that he um, was able to avoid a conviction that he was, as he said the last time, exonerated, even if that wasn't the case. I mean, um, we heard from Republicans who even voted not guilty talking about how they thought that he was, in fact, at fault for what had happened. They just thought it was not constitutional. But I would definitely say that President Trump got what he wanted, which was um, he could run again. I think there's a big question mark about will he run again and how he would build that support, given the fact that he's lost things like his Twitter and other social media. But he could if he wanted to in, in four years. And, and what's next for him right now in the media? Senator Lindsey Graham on the Sunday shows was saying that you know, the president is ready to move on from all of this and ready to rebuild the GOP for 2022. 
as President Trump did not really spend much time campaigning for Republicans around the country, even when he would go and hold an event somewhere where there was a Republican who needed the help from the president, he would talk about him for about two minutes in an hour-long speech. So it's not really in his nature to spend a lot of time campaigning or trying to help other people in the party. So it would be surprising to see him hit the campaign trail for the 2022 midterms. But I do think we're going to see him trying to work on his businesses. So I think that's going to probably be his immediate focus and then figuring out politically what he does next. I mean, running for president is a big job and he might just decide to retire or he might decide (laughs) he wants another round. Let's talk about Democrats and all of this uh, and have two questions. So first off, what happened with the calling of witnesses? That seemed to be something that was going to happen. It could have potentially extended the trial for weeks, people were saying, but then quickly fell apart at some point. And and the second question is, what did Democrats achieve with all of this? You know, they made their case. Representative uh, Jamie Raskin, who was the lead impeachment manager, said that President Trump was found guilty in the court of public opinion, in the court of history. But Trump won. They lost this one again. So what did they achieve in all of this? There are going to be a lot of questions about what the point was. And we'll start with that. They appeared to be heading to a quick end on Saturday. They, they were going to have some remarks. They were going to vote. They were going to go home. And then all of a sudden, Raskin got up there and asked for witnesses and then got the votes he needed to call witnesses. Then they took a break to try to figure out what they were doing. And then they came back and said, OK, never mind. We don't need witnesses. We'll just move on. And what was a really meticulously laid out and planned case, it was a moment that appeared to not have a strategy or a point. And, and they knew they were going to lose. And they really knew that even if they called 100 witnesses, it wasn't going to change the minds of the senators who were not going to vote with them. I think in the long run, Democrats are going to try to make the case that they couldn't get to 67 votes to convict the president, but that 57 was a pretty remarkable number. And that as the most bipartisan uh, vote to convict, even if it wasn't successful, that that is noteworthy. And I think Democrats want to be able to say they did everything they could. They took every step they could to try to stop Trump and, you know, not on them, they'll say, going forward uh, on Republicans. Republicans, how they featured in all of this. So we had seven GOP senators who voted to convict Trump. A lot of them are either not coming back or, you know, they're retiring after this or they don't face reelection for many years. So politically, they're not necessarily in danger. And then kind of one of the interesting moments Mitch McConnell, obviously, he voted not to convict President Trump, but then he went on the floor and gave a speech basically nailing the whole thing on him, saying that, you know, he was practically and morally responsible for for provoking the incidents, that he basically orchestrated. This was orchestrated by an outgoing president who was either determined to overturn the, the voters' decisions or torch the institutions on his way out. So, I mean, the blistering speech from him, basically blaming him for everything, but he still voted against it. We saw McConnell moments, moments after voting not guilty on the floor of the Senate, stand in the same place and just give this blistering speech that Trump was at fault. He had before announcing that he was going to be voting not guilty, also suggested that Trump could uh, face criminal charges for what had happened, which no one thinks is actually going to happen, but really just giving this blistering speech. And I, and I think what it is is sort of this difficult political place that this whole process put them in. Um, he wasn't going to vote to convict, even though, as he said in his own world words, he thought Trump was morally and practically responsible for everything that had happened. So I think that we're going to see a Republican Party 
as displayed by Mitch McConnell's sort of reversal in tone, uh, or at least intact on Saturday, play out over the coming weeks. And uh, you mentioned those seven senators who voted to convict, uh, who voted guilty. Um, some of them uh, you, in states where their their Republican counterpart, the other senator from their state, voted guilty. So we saw that in Louisiana. Bill Cassidy was a bit of a surprise. Right. People weren't expecting him to vote guilty. In North Carolina, Senator Burr, who is retiring, but the other Republican Tillis there uh, voted not guilty. So I think we're going to see, especially in Cassidy's case and Susan Collins in Maine, uh, in her case, maybe in Ben Sass in Nebraska, uh, Republicans in their state mounting a primary challenge, even if it's six years from now that they're facing that challenge. Yeah. and, And, you know, this goes to that larger question, you know, where does the Republican Party go from here? How much do they go back to Trump or, or, you know, how much do they kind of rebuild this MAGA faction of the Republican Party? You know, going back to Lindsey Graham, he said that, you know, Richard Burr obviously is going to be retiring. Uh, This just opens up the Senate seat for Laura Trump, uh, President Trump's daughter-in-law. So they're already kind of laying the groundwork. He's saying that she's the future of the Republican Party. You know, I think that anyone with Trump in their last name is going to struggle to win office. I mean, I think that they will have money and some support, but there will also be a lot of opposition, even within the party, sort of even at a quiet structural level can make it difficult to run. But I think that uh, the party doesn't know. I think the leadership of the party doesn't know. And I think you've got the Josh Hollies and the Ted Cruz's of the world who um, would be happy to continue sort of in that populist Trump approach. And then you've got the Ben Sasses and the Mitt Romneys who want to abandon that uh, and find a new way forward. And I think they're really going to be fighting it out over the next several years. President Biden largely stayed out of this. He did release a statement saying that the substance of the charge was not in question. Uh, We know where he stands on all this, obviously. But, you know, how how did he fare throughout all of this? As I mentioned, he just largely stayed out of it. He has stayed out of it. And it's kind of funny to think about it. It was his election certification that Trump was trying to stop. (laughs) So he was quite at the center of it. But you're right. He has said he's focused on getting the country through the COVID pandemic on other big policy priorities that he wasn't going to get entangled with this. And as you said, quite obviously, he doesn't think Trump is qualified to be in office. So (laughs) he doesn't think he should run again either. But um, I think Biden knew that this was sort of best left to the Senate to decide and he has tried to stay out of the way. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. She took her approach, which is very much about finding your authentic self in your performance, um, which is a view of acting, and applied it to larger life lessons and began to move into the domain of the life coach and really expected her actors to also join her life coaching sessions. Joining us now is Gary Baum, senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Thanks for having me. wanted to talk about a story you wrote, The Guru of Toluca Lake. Uh, this is about Candace Silver's She's the daughter of late comedian Phil Silvers. Uh, she's an acting teacher and life coach. She turned into this kind of energy healer. And, uh, you know, she had a lot of students, a lot of followers. But they said that what happened after studying with her, they were being poisoned emotionally, let's say. Tell us a little bit about Candace Silvers and, and, you know, how she was as an acting teacher and kind of the complaints that people were throwing out there about her. So Candace Silvers is a... Uh 
well-known acting teacher in the Los Angeles area, and she's had quite a bit of success over the last several decades. Um, a number of prominent actors were with her, people like Josh Radner and Chris Evans, before they were well-known. But over the years, uh, she was kind of a controversial figure because she would do things like take credit for their careers, ways that they felt like was inappropriate. And she would also go to some actors and request uh, commissions on their earnings in a way that was, let's just say, unorthodox, in a way that was traditionally the domain of talent agents and managers. You mentioned that she would take credit for some of the successes of some actors. You, you recounted a story in your article about uh, her running into actor Jason Siegel and then kind of taking credit for his successes, not necessarily because he worked with her, but because he, she worked with Josh Radner and basically said that, you know, he would have been nothing if not for him and, and him working with her. Yeah, she's a very brash personality. She's got a lot of chutzpah, it appears. <laughs> Tell us about some of her methods, uh, because in the article it said uh, she had a blunt manner with ample profanity. So how did she work this into her sessions and classes? So she's this larger-than-life figure. Um, people have compared her to uh, other figures in the acting teacher domain, from you know Stanislavski to Meisner, etc. Um, you think of uh, the HBO show Barry, the Henry Winkler character that's based right. off of Stella Adler. But she has a charisma to her. She has this kind of brassy type of quality. She is very confident. But over time, she took her approach, which is very much about finding your authentic self in your performance, um, which is a view of acting, and applied it to larger life lessons and began to move into the domain of the life coach and really expected her her actors to also join her life coaching sessions and also began to take on life coaching students separate from the actors. And over time, the domain of her practice has expanded. So that's where it seems to have gone awry, let's say. You spoke to more than three dozen people who claimed that she was this toxic guru and kind of leveraged their personal information against them, you know, brought it up during classes as examples. You made mention of actress Lindsay McKeon, who she said she had to go to a cult debriefer to understand what she had really gone through. The accusations are pretty serious about people feeling as though they were taken advantage of, that they were manipulated in essentially a kind of a quasi-therapeutic way and a reckless way over time that Candace has over time taken on a role with people that is really beyond the domain of her experience and her professional ability. Before we move on, you did reach out to her, obviously, for a statement. I guess her representative said a statement saying, you know, this is just a small group of people. They were just kind of unhappy with what was going on. You know, what did they have to say for their part? Candace Silver's representatives felt that they felt that these were disgruntled individuals or that these issues were somewhat overblown. And sometimes they agreed that the work that she does is difficult. Often I spoke with a number of people that, in fact, several dozen people that she put forward who are adoring clients. And they oftentimes would say, look, quite a bit of what the critics are saying is, is true. It's just that they're not looking at Candace's work correctly. They're perhaps rejected her work. They rejected the journey of her work. And therefore, they're rejecting themselves and they reject her. And that she is somebody that they are unfairly villainizing. 
because it's easy to do that when you are going through an experience where you can become a target. She does dangerous work. You mentioned that, and some of her students had mentioned that she took a trip to India to study with some gurus, some more spiritual type stuff. She was looking for something, I guess she ended up learning something similar to Reiki, things like that. So this is where she kind of transitioned into this more of a healer, spiritual type person. And that's when she kind of started, you know, doing these other life coaching classes and and taking on those types of students. But they alleged that she was doing some dangerous things like telling people to adjust her medication. Uh, I know that was a huge one uh, that people were complaining about. Yeah, that you know, overall, the 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 general concern is that she's moved beyond the expertise that she initially acquired, and that people initially went to her for, which was to be an acting teacher, and that she's moved to various spaces of expertise that that she is not. The the allegation is that she's she's not legitimately able to to offer. Um, and that she's dealing with an increasingly vulnerable client population. And people are concerned that um, the people that go to her don't know what they're getting into. You know, money is always a, a curiosity with these types of things. You know, do we know how much acting classes were, how much how much these life coaching sessions were? And I know there was uh, situations where she was encouraging people to take trips to other countries for to study, you know, more of these techniques and things. Over time, some people would say that they would go into tens of thousands of dollars of debt to uh, experience the work with her over periods of years. Um, some of these trips to places like Bali would cost $7,000 for you know a 10 or 11 day trip to go with her to study with a healer to learn some of these uh, techniques that she was offering that she felt were breakthrough techniques of self-improvement. Is there anybody that is uh, putting forth any type of lawsuits or anything like that? I, I, I mean, they're just kind of voicing their opinions right now on what their experiences or how is this playing out? Not at this time. At this time, what, what people are trying to do is surface their concern that a situation that they feel has long been a point of, of knowledge in an inner community needs to be um, more publicly recognized. I was speaking after the coverage came out last week to a, a casting director who said that Candace is somebody that was widely known throughout the uh, community um, and that there have been concerns about her. And I've also spoken to trained therapists at, um, in town who also said that on that end, uh, they would deal with uh, patients who had been through her work. Um, and so what this was was uh, an inquiry into uh, the work that she has been doing, which some people feel is very important and has had a lot of positive gains in their life. It's important to say that um, many feel that she has really helped them out and helped them in their personal and professional lives achieve um, huge leaps, um, while others felt as though she um, has caused them um, various kinds of ruin and that they did not know what they were getting into um, with somebody uh, who they feel uh, is not in a position to offer these types of really tricky work. Gary Baum, senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.